Hey, everybody, how we doing? Okay, there's like six of you that are fine. The rest of you are a little shell-shocked like me. There's a lot going on in the world. Well, anyway, my name is Ryan Keith. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, because surprise, surprise, that's where we're going to be tonight. Uh, That's where we've been all summer, where we're looking at each attribute more closely. And while you're doing that, I want to tell you a story. So in graduate school, I was taking this negotiation class, and we were looking at ethics. And they gave us these little clickers where you could vote on things. And the question was, the first question was, do you agree with the statement, leadership and uh, truth, rather, truth and integrity are the highest value in leadership? Do you agree with truth and integrity are the highest value in leadership? And 95% of my classmates said yes. That's pretty good, right? The very next question was, if you could lie, cheat, and steal, and no one would know, and it would help you get ahead, would you do it? 87% of my classmates said yes. So 95% said truth and integrity are the highest values in leadership, and 87% of them said they would lie, cheat, or steal to get ahead. I threw my clicker in the air, flabbergasted by this truth, and then uh, I just was asking, like, how could this be? Well, it isn't just my classmates in grad school. This is far too true in all of us. It's everywhere. This guy, David Callahan, in a book called The Cheating Culture, Why More Americans Are Doing Wrong to Get Ahead. Now, keep in mind, this is 2004 when he wrote this book. He calls this issue of idolizing wrongdoing to get ahead a profound moral crisis that reflects deep economic and social problems in American society. This is 2004. I don't know what he'd write now. But Callahan goes on and states, Americans are not only cheating more in many areas, but are also feeling less guilty about it. When everybody does it, or imagines that everybody does it, a cheating culture has emerged. And here's his analysis. This is really interesting. Callahan argues that those in power over the past 25 years, especially conservatives, have focused only on the decline of traditional values of, around sex, drugs, and the media, while ignoring and also participating in the evils of greed, envy, materialism, and inequality. Now, whether you agree with that or not, that was his analysis. And here's a couple more specifics to show you how pervasive this is. This isn't just my crazy classmates. This is all of us. On a study of marriages, 74% of men said they would cheat on their wives if they could get away with it. And 68% of women said the same. 79% of Americans say it's morally wrong to cheat on your taxes. Yet it's estimated that 1.6 million individuals cheat on their taxes each year. And even until tonight, when I was sharing this stat with some of the folks in the back, I I was like, wait, 79% of Americans think it's morally wrong? That means 21% of Americans think that it's okay or they don't know. Christians, in my opinion, as we listen to these things, Christians, in my opinion, have the most to lose because as followers of Jesus, we say that we follow the one who says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
Yet if our lives aren't markedly different from culture, we perpetuate the lie that there is no such thing as truth and there's no such thing as wrongdoing. Far too often, we as people who publicly proclaim that we are followers of Jesus, too often live out our love in all the wrong ways. We rejoice quietly sometimes at the notion of cutting corners. We celebrate the demise of those who disagree with us. We tell people like we think it is because it makes us feel better. We love the rush when we belittle others or we jump in when other people are belittling others, pouring it on. And certainly this is on social media like Facebook, but it's also not just on Facebook. This is in our living rooms, our workplaces, even our bedrooms. Sure, healthy, God-honoring talk, fine. But far too often, that's not what we're doing. We're venting malice, falsely buying into the belief that it's good for me to get this off of my chest. And it's good for you too, come on. But wrongdoing has no place in the Christian witness, always. Even when, perhaps especially when, no one's looking and no one will ever know what's going inside our heads. That brings us to today's passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's begin with verse 1. And here's what that says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And that's where we're gonna be tonight. It, being loved, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So here's what I wanna do tonight to help us understand this, this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse six. What I wanna do is look at what does it mean to rejoice with the truth? I wanted to find that for us. But then I want to look at, give you three characteristics, three markers of what it, how you can tell if your love rejoices with the truth. But before we do those things, I want to give you the big idea. So often when we read this passage, we think about it's a choice between wrongdoing and the truth. And that's actually not true. The more I study this passage, it's actually not a choice between wrongdoing and the truth. Like, are we going to be good today or are we going to be bad today? It's not that. It's actually, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're going to see tonight that it's actually, are we going to rejoice with the truth that God has given us, or are we going to reject that? It's actually, are we going to take up the thing that God has given us and dwells in us, or are we going to reject that? So it's slightly different than wrongdoing or truth. It's actually, do I want to reject what my God has given me? That's the choice. So what does it mean to rejoice with the truth, not at wrongdoing. Well, wrongdoing, friends, is anything that dishonors God. 
Wrongdoing is anything that dishonors God. Put another way, wrongdoing is anything that would not be praised in the presence of God. It's anything that would not be praised in the presence of God. And then the counter of that is truth is anything that glorifies God and even God himself. Truth is dependable, firm, and will stand the test of time and will hold up in the presence of our God. Simply explain, like, I don't praise our children when they behave poorly, right? That would be ridiculous. Although, I'm sure I've done it before. Um, I don't praise my children when they do something wrong. I praise them and rejoice with them when they do something right. But this passage is even more than that, because we have to look at what the word rejoice means. The first rejoice and rejoice at wrongdoing, the rejoicing at is, is actually a very common rejoice, like adoring, hailing, praising, that kind of rejoicing. But it's rejoicing at something or rejoicing in something, like at a distance. Like I am a big fan of the New England Patriots. Some of you might consider that wrongdoing, right? Uh, I, I'm a fan, I'm a diehard fan of the Red Sox who are doing terrible this year. We've had a lot of winning in the last decade or so, two decades really. Uh, you're welcome. And, and, okay, there's a few sports fans here. And so, like, some of you consider that wrongdoing. I don't. But either way, like, when I rejoice when they win, I'm rejoicing at them or in them. They're distant. Even though I think sometimes I'm part of the team, it's actually other people, right? Like, I'm rejoicing at them. So that's, that's okay to rejoice at some things. Some of you might not think the Red Sox or the Patriots. But it's okay to rejoice, right? But the second rejoice, rejoicing with wrongdoing, I mean, rejoicing with the truth is actually different. It's a different Greek word. The rejoicing with, rejoices with wrong, uh, rejoices with the truth is actually a different rejoice than the first rejoice. The rejoices with the truth is a different word and it's only used seven times in the New Testament. And here's what that means. It's rejoicing with, rejoicing together, to commune with, to rejoice with community. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. And I want to look at two passages where this same rejoice with is used so we better understand the concept. And this is where we're going to be. We're going to be in Luke 15. Both the stories are in Luke 15. So if you brought your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 15. It'll also be on the screen. Luke 15, this is what that says. Beginning in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, this is the word, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that it was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So rejoice with me. It's a together, it's a welcoming people to share this experience, share this joy. And the second story is right after that in verse 8, the parable of the lost coin. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. 
And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, here it is, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Rejoice with me. Rejoice together. There's joy, but it's joy together. And be, before, re, uh, but returning to 1 Corinthians 13, 6, it says what? Rejoice with what? What does it say? Rejoice with the truth. Friends, if you're a follower of Christ, I have good news for you. Did you know that the truth is always with us? If you're a follower of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us this. 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? This means that God is with you. Always. It's not a choice of whether I'm going to be with God or not. God is with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is with you always. The choice is whether our thoughts and our actions and our love poured out into the world accepts and receives that truth that is with us or rejects it. But God is always with us and he always knows Rejoice, though, friends, that we can commune with God anytime. So that's what it means to rejoice with the truth, to rejoice with the things of God. Now, I want to give you three markers of how you'll know of whether your love rejoices with the truth. And I found these three markers to be helpful as I've considered this verse, because this has been a really hard verse to unpack, both personally because it's convicting, but also just, it's just so raw in our day right now about what is truth and am I espousing truth? And this will help you know, I hope, to see if you're on the right path to pursuing a love that is just rejoicing with the truth. And, and as a side benefit, these are all things that also benefit you if you do that. So the first one is unity of purpose. A unity of purpose. That's the first marker of a love that rejoices with the truth. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, this is what it says. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, what I want you to do because I don't have any illustrations or props or people coming up. I want you to be my props and my people. You don't need to go anywhere else, but stand up. I need you to stand up, if you can. If you can, stand up. And I want you to stand up, and I want you to look around. Look around. Don't look at me. You can look at me a little bit, but look around. And when you look at the people around you, I want you to think about this question. Would they rejoice at the thoughts that you have toward them that only you and the Lord know about. Not just right now, but in the past and in the future. Would they rejoice with the thoughts and actions and beliefs that you have about them? When you look around, is your love for them desire that they rejoice at words, thoughts, and actions that stand with the truth of Scripture? Do you like long for that? Do you long for the unity of our body believing in the truth of Scripture? 
Will our love be marked by the kind of love where God's spirit which dwells in us will rejoice? I want you to have an image in your mind of what it's like to rejoice with the truth. So stand just a little bit longer. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, your love should rejoice with the truth because heaven is gonna look like that. We're gonna be standing and worshiping the King of Kings. We're gonna be on our knees, bowing before him, standing up again and celebrating the King of Kings, rejoicing with the truth for all time. That's what we're gonna be doing. So stop and consider heaven. I'm almost gonna let you sit down, but we're gonna be standing and rejoicing with the King of Kings, so stay with me a little longer. This place we long for, this place that we claim that we long for, this place we're trying to bring about here on earth until our God calls us to our forever home. The chief end of man, friends, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Friends, and we get to worship the King of Kings now. Is our love marked by the kind of rejoicing with the truth that even the angels would welcome and join us in rejoicing with the truth with whatever we say, think, or do? Anything else is not praiseworthy and is not welcome to be praised in the presence of our God. It's not truth, but wrongdoing. May we be united in a purpose of worshiping God with a love that rejoices with the truth. And before I let you sit down, Revelation 4, 8 through 11, I want you to think about this, and I've been praying for you all week that this would be seared in your minds. This is a famous passage, but listen to this. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Amen? Amen. You can sit down. Thanks for being with me. Now listen, what it means to have love that rejoices with the spirit will be marked by unity of purpose. Right? This is what we're going to be doing for all time. This is what we're saying to people. Come and follow my king. And you can be part of this for all time. May our lives and our love be marked with a unity of purpose of rejoicing with the truth. The next time you're thinking or acting out something toward the body of believers, consider Will other believers, will the angels, or even God himself rejoice with your love and the tenor of your heart? Will the angels and even God himself rejoice with you? Love that rejoices with the truth is marked by unity of purpose. The second marker is this. 
led by the Spirit. It's very related, very similar. But how do we know if what's in our thoughts and our minds will be welcomed by the angels and God himself? There are lots of things that we could say about the Spirit, but when I say led by the Spirit, I just want us to remember two attributes. To slow down and consider kingdom implications. When we think about being led by the Spirit, I want you to think about slowing down and considering kingdom implications. What do I mean by slow down? Consider the Spirit. Remember that your natural instinct is one that actually is toward wrongdoing. But consider the Spirit, that God is in you. The truth is in you. He dwells in you as a gift of love. And consider Him. Slow down. And think about what does God want for you in this moment? What does God want for you? So many of us are, are trying to live this veneer of righteousness, but our hearts are corrupted and we're trying to pretend and we have this works-based mentality. You weren't saved by your achievements or your service at church, your position in line of how quickly you became a Christian, your bank account, none of those things matter to God in the end. You were saved by grace and too often we're tempted to cut corners in the name of getting ahead or doing something nice for the Lord. Don't. Slow down. God gave us a helper himself. If you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Slow down. Philippians 1.6 tells us this. Philippians 1.6 tells us this. If I am, sh and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. The Holy Spirit dwells with us and he will help us love with a love that rejoices with the truth. We have to ask him. We have to humble ourselves and ask him. We have to slow down and ask him to be led by the Spirit. But we also have to consider the kingdom implications. We have to consider the kingdom implications. If we think about something long enough, and here's why I say that, because if we think about something long enough, I don't know about you, but this is true for me. When I think about something that I'm not quite sure, is this God honoring or not, but I really want to do it, Right? The longer I think about it, it's like, well, God would want me to be happy. I've worked really hard. Like, why would God not want to give me this thing? I mean, it's not really that bad. It's not as bad as that guy. Right? But truth is anything that would be praiseworthy in the presence of our king. And if it's not that, it's not, it's not truth. We have to consider the kingdom implications because it's not about you or me. It's actually about the kingdom of God. Let's look at Philippians 2, 12 through 18, where it calls us, we're called to be lights in the world. Beginning in verse 12, Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's no easy thing to go before God. For it is God whose work is, it works in you, both to will 
and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Sound familiar, right? Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured, that, and then, that I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. When you slow down and listen to the Holy Spirit, consider kingdom implications. Because our choice of whether to accept and receive the truth that God has given us or to reject it has kingdom implications that we often cannot see. The Spirit will always help us. But we don't always do the right thing, right? I know I don't. As I think about this, this kingdom implications, one of the things this, that God brought to mind is I remember years ago, I was in an organization company and I lied to two of my coworkers. I, I had forgotten to do something and, and they asked me, why isn't it done? And I blamed someone else that they didn't know, Right? I blamed someone else that I didn't know, and, 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 I, and I knew that I could get away with it because A, they didn't know this person, and I was more senior than them in the company, and I thought it was highly improbable that they would ask around about me and whether that was true. And, and, and that night, I was relieved. In fact, I remember ruminating over how easy that was, how easy it was to lie and get away with it but it didn't last long. I had an awful night's sleep. God kept reminding me that he knew and he was not pleased. Not only had I lied to these people, I had soiled the reputation of a person that I knew. I had soiled the reputation of someone that these coworkers didn't know, but they would be thinking this person is incompetent and incapable of delivering on their promises. I was ruining a reputation of a brother in Christ simply because I was too proud to admit that I forgot. And I was too proud to admit that I lied and seek their forgiveness. So very, very early the next morning, after a long sleepless night, I started to pray and I started to ask God, what did I need to do to make this wrong right? And I started to rationalize with the Lord about what it would cost my reputation and trust if I confessed my lie to my coworkers. God, wouldn't my confession and damage be worse than the cost of the lie? Can't we just let this one go? Like, I've learned the lesson. Thank you, Lord. But, like, it would cost us too much. Think about the consequences, God. It's ridiculous, right? You should laugh. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I was doing that. And I paused to listen. I slowed down and sensed the Holy Spirit lead me to this truth. This is what it was. I know you lied. Isn't that enough? I will provide. Trust my ways, not yours. So I called both my coworkers very early that morning, probably too early actually, 
The first was very gracious, but was quick to get off the phone. The second was about the same. Though they were surprised and disappointed that I had lied, they were thankful that I cared about the relationship to repair it and make it right. But over the weekend, I got an email from one of them. A few days later, I got an email, a long email. And they shared that while they were disappointed, they were very encouraged and very thankful that I had apologized. Because they let me know in all their history, as far as they can remember, I'm the first man that's ever apologized after sinning against them. As ever. So they appreciated that. But they said, though they appreciate my apology, they also confirmed the view that they've always had of men. That they're untrustworthy. And it would take a long time for me to earn their trust again. We do not know. I did not know these employees, these coworkers very well when this occurred. That wasn't part of my calculation, but it was wrong. It was wrong. And even if I could have gotten away with it, it was still wrong. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need to slow down and be led by the Spirit and consider kingdom implications. Because not only did I lie about something silly, it was a stupid deadline. It didn't even matter. But to this person, this sister in Christ, I affirmed in her a view of who men are. That is not true. But I made it true by sinning against her. We don't know the kingdom implications of our actions. It's always right. Even if we think we can get away with it, it's always right to do what God says and rejoice with the truth, no matter the cost. A love that rejoices with the truth is marked by being led by the spirit and a unity of purpose. And the third one, our last one is simply this. It dovetails right into what we just said, having a clear conscience and peace. A love that rejoices with the truth is marked by a clear conscience and peace. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, this is what it says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I had to sit with the implications of what I had done and the feedback that I got. There was a cost in ways that I didn't appreciate. And even though I'd reconciled with this person in a way, there was still a cost and an impact on her life. Right? I affirmed in her something that she falsely believed about men. And I sought her forgiveness and she forgave me. And in one way we were right, but there's still a cost. But by doing the right thing, I had peace and I had cemented in her a truth that even years later she came back and she thanked me again for apologizing, right? It doesn't always work out that way. And it still was a heavy cost to bear for a stupid thing. Because I didn't slow down and consider it and be led by the spirit. But when I did it, I had peace. She forgave me, the Lord forgave me, and I was one again. Get this, according to a major study on happiness, there are people out there who study this, not just pastors, 
According to a major study in happiness from the University of California, and this is what it said, you're not going to be surprised. If you see yourself as an honest person, you'll be happiest when your behavior exemplifies your beliefs. Right? If you espouse that you are a trustworthy person and then you are trustworthy, you'll be happy. But get this, the most successful people in the study, the people who did the exercise and were the most successful and cheated and lied to get ahead in this silly study were the least happy because the way other people perceive them as successful and affluent and wise and trustworthy because that was part of the exercise, their happiness was decreased. And not only was their happiness decreased, their ability or capacity to ever be happy was dramatically reduced because how people saw them as trustworthy people was just not so. Put another way, my father used to say, we are who we are when no one is looking and no one will ever know how we make our choices in life. That's who we are. That's who we are. Rejoice with the truth and have a clear conscience. One little example, as you've seen from my lie, and I could give you a long list. We don't have all day and you have places to be. I don't always get it right, but sometimes there's one thing as I, I was just praying about this, what does it mean to rejoice with the truth and, and our love rejoicing with the truth? I thought about this great gift that God has given me, and that's my wife. This past week, we celebrated 13 years of marriage, and before I got married, before I got married, somebody gave me the best advice, one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received about marriage, and I wanna share it with you. You've probably heard it before. They said, never, ever, 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 under any circumstance, ever say anything demeaning or derogatory or could be interpreted as derogatory in any way about your wife, ever. To anyone, under any circumstance, your life group, your friends, the people who want you to just vent, how's it going, tell us what she's like. Anyone, for any reason, ever. And I'm thankful that as far as I can remember, as far as my wife can remember, I've always honored that truth. And we have peace, even when we have disagreements, because believe it, it's, it's mostly because I am a disagreeable guy sometimes. But anytime we have a disagreement or there's something in our marriage that we're working through, we can sleep at night with peace in our conscience, knowing that our love rejoices with the truth, that we will never defame or deride or pull down one another in public with anyone, ever. And there's a joy and peace that comes and of all the storms and all the chaos of what is true and what is happening in our world right now. When I go to bed at night and look at her and she looks at me, she knows and I know that we have not degraded each other to anyone at all. And that's something. That's something you can build on. Our love chooses to rejoice with the truth. Even when it feels like it would be so good to speak ill of someone or to cut corners to get ahead because who will ever know, right? God will justify it in the end because my ends are good or my means are good or my intentions are good. God, I just got a little carried away. It was just a little lie. 
It was just a little falsehood. It was just a little stealing. It, was just, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm better than those people. Anything that is not praiseworthy in the presence of our God is wrongdoing. Don't rejoice in wrongdoing. Make your love be marked by a love that rejoices with the truth. A unity of purpose led by the Spirit and marked by a conscience of peace. Even if people get ahead in our life and you feel like you are being left behind, remember that Christ came for sinners. Our lives and our love isn't intended to take others captive and set them in their place and tell them like it is. That's God's work. But we should rejoice when sinners, especially including in our body, this church, West Shore Free Church, this body, and how we engage with one another. We should rejoice at the opportunity to reconcile and make wrongs right among one another. And rejoice with the truth, to do the right thing. To rejoice in the truth when someone that we work with or, or study with or in our life group is faced with an ethical decision, they do the right thing. Applaud them in that. Rejoice with them in that. Remind them the angels are crying out right now, holy, holy, holy. This action you have just done has given great glory to our God. No matter what the world takes away from you, no matter what you think you will gain by cutting corners and doing it your way because God's way seems too hard and too costly. Our God and our King came to die for you so that you may have life and have it to the full, both here and in heaven for all time to be in his presence. And he loving you so much, has given you a gift, the truth that resides in you, a temple of the King of Kings. We can rejoice with that truth or reject it. No matter if the world gets ahead and you seem to be left behind, always rejoice with the truth. Anything else is wrongdoing. We should rejoice with the angels. That God is on the move. I know these are crazy times. I know that there's so much busyness and buzz about what is true and what is happening. Let me tell you, above all these things, our God reigns. May we be marked by people in a time of wrongdoing and lies and manipulations and falsehoods and false gospels and things that are just not true and are not welcome in the holy of holies. Come on. I love you people and I have been on my knees being convicted by my God and your God that what we are doing is too shallow and too hollow of the fullness of the love that God commands us to live out for his glory. In the end, we stand with a God that has been the one that, that all kings for all time, their crowns are tossed aside because our God wins. May, no matter what, friends, no matter what, we can rejoice with the love that comes from God. We can rejoice that if we follow God, we stand with truth, no matter what the world takes away from us.
no matter what the world says about our God, we can rejoice that both now and for all time, our love can rejoice with the truth. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for my friends here. I thank you for the opportunity we've had to study your word. Lord, comfort us now. It's hard to follow you. Grow in us a love for you that, that just rejoices at following your ways, rejoices with the truth and rejects wrongdoing. That too often rejects the truth that you've given us so graciously. We love you, Lord. Receive our praises now. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.